Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Hello, everyone. This is Kennard Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is April 23rd, 2011, uh, one day before what most of Christianity celebrates, uh, Easter, uh, which uh, was not commanded to celebrate in the Bible. Uh, The word translated Easter should be, in the original Greek, it means Passover. Uh, nothing wrong with celebrating the um, resurrection of Jesus Christ, but uh, we should also be celebrating Passover, which uh, I'm doing and other Jews are doing uh, throughout the world and those who follow the Jews. Uh, And most of all, those who truly follow the greatest Jew of all time, which is uh, Yeshua Messiah. Um, I'm sure that Maybe you don't realize this, but he is a Jew. And part of him being a Jew was to observe God's holy days that are listed in Leviticus chapter 23, which most of Christianity thinks are nailed to the cross, which that's not true. And if you want more clarification of that, please uh, go to my feature program on Blog Talk Radio and listen to uh, my special um, six-hour Bible study on is the law of Moses nailed to the cross. As far as what's going on in the world, uh, tornadoes, hurricanes, um, financial problems, famine, all that is, is going on as, as Christ has predicted, so we shouldn't be surprised about all this. Let's go back to what I believe is the simplest guide to prophecy in the Bible, Matthew chapter 24. Instead of going to detailed analysis of what's going to happen. We need to be going through detailed analysis of our behavior and how we treat people and how we treat God. That's what he's going to judge us on, not our great knowledge of prophecy. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, um, starting in verse 3. As he sat on, I'm reading this in the English Standard Version, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, which is across from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, The disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age, the age of man trying to rule himself, which he has failed? Verse 4, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. And that is a prophecy, because even as I'm speaking, uh, we all have been led astray by something. 
uh, most of all by religion. But in all fabrics of society, we've been led astray. Verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah or Christ, and they will lead many astray. And that's true. There's many, many people that claim that they are ministers of God and they end up being ministers of the devil. Verse 6, And you will hear of wars, as we are, and rumors of wars. Uh, right now, uh, the United States is fighting a war in Iraq, and also in Afghanistan, and now in Libya. And in other parts of the world, there's different factions, uh, people not getting along. Uh, in this verse, in verse 7, and uh, in the King James Version, it has it incorrectly, nation. It should be families or tribes. Uh, for families will rise against families, and that's going on as I'm speaking. Uh, kingdom against kingdom, and I'm sure you know what that means. That's nation against nation and country against country, and there will be famines, uh, people starving, and earthquakes in various places. Uh, we, we just had an earthquake in Japan. And that's certainly in various places all across the world. And then, of course, uh, we have tornadoes and weather disturbances as well. It says, all these but are the beginning of birth pain. So whenever you hear about uh, what happened in St. Louis today, I feel sorry for the people in St. Louis. Pray for them. But these things are going to occur because, uh, in verse 12, it states, and because lawlessness or torlessness, uh, not obeying the commandments of God, being stubborn, thinking your way is the best way, and forget God. Well, because of this, it says the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So all this is going on primarily because of sin. Uh, many people don't understand that, sure, the law, or keeping the law of God, uh, there's curses involved, but there's also blessings, and I don't hear enough of that being talked about uh, as far as um, the Old Testament. Uh, if you keep the law of God, you'll be blessed mightily. Of course, everyone should know that if you don't keep the law, you'll be cursed. But anyway, so that's what's going on in the world right now. It's just um, those type of elements um Plus, we have the situation with Obama, and where's his birth certificate? And it'll be pretty interesting to see if he actually will um, reveal his long-form birth certificate because uh, states, right, I know the state of Louisiana uh, is in the process of approving their legislation or law, new law, where he and other candidates are going to be required to submit their long-form birth certificate. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, the Certificate of live birth that Barack Obama has online is not the actual long form birth certificate, even though it says at the bottom that this proves that uh, that documentation is somewhere uh, in Hawaii. Okay, but no one has seen it. No one has seen the long form birth certificate. Uh, John McCain was required to submit his long form birth certificate when they questioned whether or not he was a natural born citizen because he was born in the Panama Canal. So people are naturally questioning, okay, well, why doesn't Obama, because Obama's situation is more in doubt, because it, we, we all know that his father, or we should know, that his father was, an American, was not an American citizen. His mother was an American citizen. But 
it, it appears that she wasn't an American citizen uh, four years after or five years after uh, Barack uh, was born. She was just 18. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a lot of questions being brought up. And then, you know, for somebody like Donald Trump, uh, he wouldn't risk his name and notoriety unless he has a good reason to do what he's doing. Also, Jerome Corsi, uh, which, by the way, you can do a search on Google and look at the um, the uh, most searched books that are going to be coming out. Uh, Where is the birth certificate by Jerome Corsi is in number two or number one position right now. So it's it's really getting a lot of demand right now. And unless Obama shows his birth certificate, his long born, uh, long form birth certificate, this is not going to go away, folks. And the reason why I'm talking about this, because it reminds me of Isaiah chapter 59. Let's turn to that. Isaiah chapter 59, about truth. And we don't like the truth. We don't want to hear it. It's like that movie. I forgot the name of it, but um, that famous actor that played the Joker in Batman, I uh, forgot his name. But he's, he, it's one line that I always remember. And it's true. It's kind of prophetic in a way. It says, you can't handle the truth. We as a nation, we, we really can't. Handle the truth. We can't handle the possibility that somebody might be lying, uh, even when there's evidence that that can show the possibility that an individual could be lying. And in the, in the case with our president, he spent, and people say, well, it's not his own money. Well, what is the only money or not is a lot of money, $2 million, to hide all of his records. What is he trying to hide? What is he trying to hide, folks? I mean, he's a public official. Public officials if they're dealing with the public, should be public about their information like that. What's the matter with finding out what he did in school? What's the matter with finding out other things about him that would assure the American public that he's an honest politician? Which, <laughs> that's a joke because, <laughs> I don't, you know, most politicians aren't honest, including Barack. He, is, he said some things that he's not doing today, you know, and, and if you want more information and detail on that for free, uh, just type in in Google the Obama, I think it's the Obama deception, right? That's the name of it, Obama deception, right, um, by Alex Jones. And you'll see uh, the things that he said he would do versus what he's doing now. But it's not just Barack. I'm not picking on him. Uh, all presidents, a lot of presidents uh, throughout history, especially our current ones, uh, they lie. All politicians. I don't know a politician, and maybe there's there's a few out there that don't, but majority of them say whatever you want to hear so they can get elected. Let me give you an example. Uh, Michelle Bachman, I think that's her, how you pronounce her last name, she's thinking about running for president. She at first was saying Obama needs to present his birth certificate you know, and all that. And then she was interviewed by this guy on ABC, uh, one of uh, the elite cronies, uh, ABC, CBS, Fox, and all that. And during the interview, uh, he had presented the it's like the media has been commissioned to brainwash the public because they know the public don't don't look into stuff, okay? So when people see that certificate of live birth, they think that's the actual long-form birth certificate that shows the hospital that you were born in, uh, the doctor, the signatures of the doctor, and everything, okay? Uh, and the location of where, where they were birthed at, and the time. That's what mine shows. I looked at mine. That's what my birth certificate shows. 
And and uh, she said, well, that's that's sufficient then. It's, it's, I guess it's over, you know. And, but it's not over, you know. And obviously she did not, if, if she did know about it, uh, she just didn't want to address it. Or maybe she was ignorant of the difference between a certificate of live birth and and an actual long form birth certificate. I know I was until I I was very ignorant about it until I actually looked into it. And I just hope that Barack shows his long form birth certificate because if he doesn't, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem for himself and for this nation. But anyway, Isaiah chapter fifty nine says right here. In verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or is ear dull that it cannot hear. All right, so God is telling us that he's willing to protect us, and he's willing to, to, to listen to us and to save us from our problems. But two, this is the problem. This is the problem that God, just like I was looking, and I cried today in the morning. It was just terrible. I looked at this video, and it showed that this person was transvestite, whatever, okay? But it's a human being, all right? And... Two girls was beaten up on this on this on this person so bad that they went into a seizure. And the thing that really makes it ridiculous and, and downright stupid is that the guy that that was filming this did not help out. All he was he was acting like he was enjoying seeing this defenseless uh, person getting beat up by two people. It's, it's just ridiculous. And then beat up so bad that body was shaking and went into a conv- this total shock and just and then he said oh she's going to see you you know it, it's just ridiculous it's just totally ridiculous but that's an example of the iniquities that god is talking about here all right of the many i can just another situation i just found out the other day that this 15 year old told my son about this 15 year old teenager um I think he liked this girl or whatever. And this boyfriend-girlfriend stuff is ridiculous in, in, in high school, by the way. And I, I did a program on that. But anyway, um, this 15-year-old was liking this other guy's girlfriend, and the girlfriend liked him or whatever. And so the other guy got angry and jealous. So what what happened was that he got him and a few other people got together, and he had two girls lure this guy into an area and deceive him into going into a place that he shouldn't have been. And then what they did, they shot him up, beat him up, and then that wasn't it, though. They wanted more revenge. So the man was dead, or the young boy was dead, 15 years old, and then they set him on fire and burnt him up. And then after that, they put pieces of his body in some place and put him in a... I mean, it's just ridiculous. This is the kind of stuff that God is talking about here, okay? And in verse 2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. All right, and in both cases, how do these people learn how to be wicked like this? Well, either through their parents, or, the, or their parents' negligence to teach them in the ways of God, or through looking at television, through their environment. In other words, not being led and taught properly how to live the right way. That's why. Verse two. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. God hates sin. And those who claim to be believers of God should hate sin. Proverbs 8 verse 13 states that the fear of God is to hate evil, to hate wickedness. And if you don't hate wickedness, then you are not a servant of God. 
And God doesn't want to have anything to do with you unless you change and repent. So in verse 2, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so he does not hear. So if you want God to hear you, stop sinning. Stop sinning. Plain and simple as that. Uh, Verse 3, For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. When I read this, I think of abortions. I think of what happened with that woman or whatever she is, transvestite, whatever that was shaking, you know. It's wrong that the the individuals are transvestite, okay, but it's wrong to beat someone to a pulp because of that, okay. That's God's responsibility, not ours, okay. But anyway, um, for your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your fingers with iniquity. And that's what surgeons do when they kill babies, right? Their fingers are filled with iniquity, aren't they? And they are defiled with blood. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. And, you know, for those who don't know what I'm talking about in regards to applying this to our nation, realize that our nation is a part of the ten tribe uh, of Israel that historians that don't know what they're talking about says has been lost. Well, they, they have been it's lost to them because they haven't really thoroughly researched it. But the ten tribes of Israel are found to those who know, like myself and Yer Davidi and other people that follow his teachings and, and have figured this out. Uh, this this was known, really, uh, in the early 19th century. But Yer Davidi has really put the Jewish twist on it and has made it more clear that the ten tribes of Israel consist presently, geographically, of the United States, Canada, New Zealand, South Africa, uh, the countries in northwestern Europe, Australia, and, of course, those who state and claim that they are believers of Christ. You are all considered Israel. So I have to, have to explain that each and every week because I know I probably get new listeners on here that say, what is he talking about? But anyway, this this is referring to us. All right? It says, uh, no one enters suit justly. This is a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. No one goes to law honestly. It, that's this is describing our country here. You know, uh, our court systems. We we don't we hate the truth. Like this poor woman, this Jewish woman. Well, she's not poor, but you know, I'm, I'm saying as far as what she's trying to do here, she's going through hell trying to prove that Barack is not being honest about his birth certificate, and the court systems don't. She even went to the the head, uh, I forgot his name, the the chief uh, justice. And she spoke to him in front of everybody. And he said, well, just put whatever you have on the desk. They they have refused to to look at the facts of this case. But anyway, they rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They give birth to iniquity. They hatch adders' eggs, they weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil, not walk, run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. As I viewed in that video of that poor person being beat up. And as I talked about the 15-year-old being literally destroyed because he liked a girl. Anyway, 
their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. In their highways. The way of peace they do not know. The way of peace is simply keeping God's commandments, folks. And there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one threads on them knows peace. Verse 9, therefore justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake. What is righteousness? Righteousness is the commandments of God. Psalm 119, verse 172. We hope for light, and behold, there's darkness. And see, we, we, we hope in this country. Hope, hope, hope. That's that's what Barack ran on, right? Change, hope, you know? And, and where is the change at? Has things gotten better economically for, for, for people? I think a lot of people would say no. So, yeah, something changed, all right. Uh, it's gotten worse. It hasn't gotten any better. Anyway, we hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight among those in full vigor. We are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. Verse 12, for our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord. You deny the Lord by not obeying him, folks, and turning back from following our God. Speaking oppression, we are oppressed, folks. We have 42 million people right now that can't eat enough food in the richest country in the world. There's absolutely no excuse for that. That's what he's talking about. Seeking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. How many times have guys talked about lying in this chapter due to the prophet Isaiah? It's a character trait of our country. It's a character trait of Israel. We don't, we can't handle the truth. We don't love the truth. Verse 14, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares. Our government. And uprightness cannot enter. Verse 15, truth is lacking. This is the almighty God speaking here. Not me, not the prophet Isaiah. He just used Isaiah to write these words. This is God prophesying about our country and Israel. He says that truth is lacking. So who are you going to believe? Truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Makes himself a prey. And I can relate to that. It means that if you're going to go God's way, you're going to get persecuted. You're going to get persecuted. And said, the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man. And wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm, his arm really is talking figuratively about the Messiah. His own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, and this is referring to each and every one of us, according to our deeds, so he will repay Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands, he will render repayment, coastlands. The Isles, the British Isles, 
verse 19. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west. From the west. We are what? The western nations, right? And his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. And a redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob. Jacob's another name for the ten tribes or all the tribes of Israel who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. That Redeemer, of course, is the Messiah. And as for me, this is my agreement or covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. And this is the covenant that he will have with each and every one of us if we just obey him. He states that his words will not depart from our mouth or our children's or out of the mouth of your children's offspring if we embrace his words. So I just brought that out in, the, in light of what's going on with Barack Obama here, and I just hope our president put an end to all this and show his uh, long-form birth certificate if he is a man of truth. If he isn't hiding anything, I'm pleading with him. God is pleading with him to show his long-form birth certificate and end all this. Because if he doesn't, this is going to cause a distraction, an unnecessary distraction for this country. Now, it may be a necessary distraction if he doesn't have it. But there is a question of whether or not this man has his long-form birth certificate, and there's a question of whether or not he was actually born in Hawaii. I've looked into this, and I know black people, uh, and I'm black, all right? 95% of black people just automatically assume that, oh, he was born in Hawaii. And I know why. Look, I understand the history. I understand what we went through, all right? But come on, let's, let's, let's get real. Would there have been any Scotty Pimpers or Michael Jordans or even Barack Obamas um, or what's the guy's name, the General General Powell, uh, and then uh, what's the other woman's name that served as Secretary of State, um, Condoleezza Rice's, et cetera, uh, in any other country? Of course not. Sure, we went through our trials, but the people of Israel back in Egypt went through a whole lot more than we did. Okay, at least we. We, uh, you know, some blacks had good masters, okay, and and they were able, they were actually able to rest at least one day. Um, those in in Egypt, they worked every day. So we 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 moan and complain, black people. We we moan and complain about um, going to slavery, but look, uh, we still can be a success here. We just have to work twice as hard as a white man. We have to do things just like Condoleezza Rice. I mean, she got a doctor's degree. Uh, Barack, uh, I hope he did, got, got it legally, got his doctor's degree and so forth. It appears he has. Um, but I'm just saying we have to work harder. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with working harder? I mean, you work harder and you do things, uh, you, you become better qualified. So what's the matter of being better qualified? What's the matter with that? So we need to stop complaining as black people, and we need to, to focus on God 
and, and focus on the tremendous opportunity we do have in this country. There's absolutely no excuse why we can't get our education. Sure, financial aid loans. But there's a scripture in the Bible that states, states, hey, buy the truth and sell it not, get wisdom, get knowledge. You know, buy that too if you have to. So so it's... it's uh, we we really don't have any excuse if if any human being and this makes a difference either black, white, white, green or yellow, if you could see and if you can hear and if you have a, a a normal reading comprehension, if you don't there's free programs that you you could uh, actually take advantage of to learn how to read. Uh if you have a desire, you can do anything. It's like I remember looking at a program of a um an individual that didn't have any arms. And yet he's playing baseball. Okay, so you know, you you can do anything you set your mind to do. You just gotta do it. You just have to do it. And we gotta stop making excuses and so forth. If if you're having job problems, get further your education. That's what I do. I try to always do that. I try I know I'm you know, I'm black and I know that it's gonna be tough. So I, I, I try to do the best I can to further my education. Get wisdom, get knowledge, that's the principal thing. That's another scripture. You know, so that that that's important that we follow that. But we need to be praying for our president, and we need to pray for him to be honest about his situation, and and to present his long form birth certificate because John McCain did it. So how come he can't do it? That's the question. Okay, um, I'm going to read this from Chabad.org. Says the Parsha of Kiddushin, but it actually the title of this Bible study is How to Be Holy. Holy means Hebraically to 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 uh, to be separate, be set apart, to be distinct. Okay, and biblically and spiritually means not to to be a sinner. Okay, so the Parsha of Kiddushin begins with the statement. Parsha means the uh, uh, reading. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. This is followed by dozens of mitzvah. Mitzvah means divine commandments, through which the Jew, and I would put in here anyone, not just the Jew, sanctifies him or himself and relates to the holiness of God. These include the prohibition against idolatry, the mitzvah or commandment of charity. And it is, yes, charity, caring about people is, is a mitzvah, and we're going to get into that today. The principle of equality before the law, Shabbat which is the Sabbath, sexual morality, honesty in business, honor and all of one's parents, and the sacredness of life. Also in Kiddushim is the dictum which the great Rabbi Akiva uh, called a cardinal principle of Torah, and of which Hillel said, this is the entire Torah, the rest is commentary. Love your fellow as yourself. And I like to brag about God before I brag about rabbis. Uh, God stated in Leviticus, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Rabbi Akiva and Hillel got it from. Okay, so I just want to put that disclaimer in for God. Anyway, let's turn to uh, Leviticus chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Leviticus 19, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation, which means assembly, 
which uh, is used uh, in the New Testament, the word church should be translated congregation or assembly. A church is not a building. It's an assembly of people worshiping God. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. And see, I want to stop there. In Ephesians 5, verse 1, it states that we should imitate God. All right? And God states here that you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, how are you holy? Well, he's giving you an example in this passage of Scripture how you're holy or set apart or distinct without sin. That's the goal anyway, to be without sin. So if you're not imitating God, if you're not holy like he is, then you're not obeying him. Anyway, verse 3, Every one of you shall revere his, his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. And this is interesting because um, uh, the Sabbath is held just as important as obeying your parents. And the same uh, sentence here it says, Every one of you shall revere his mother and father, and and you shall keep my Sabbaths. Colon. I am the Lord your God. So this is a serious statement here. I'm the Lord your God. You better keep the Sabbath and obey your parents. That's what he's saying. Verse 4. Do not turn to idols or make yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. This is interesting. It's somewhat prophetic because kids today have a problem obeying their parents. Of course, the parents don't make it any better either. The parents have a problem uh, disciplining their children too. So it's both ways. And then, uh, and then of course, Christianity today, they've been deceived mightily. They they think that the Sabbath and that the cross, the Sabbath is in your heart now and all that, and there's nowhere in the Bible where that can be proved. And hardly any Christian congregation keeps the Sabbath today. They keep Sunday. But anyway, so it doesn't surprise me he addresses these two points up front. Verse 4 is one of the two biggest problems that we have as a nation. Do not turn to idols, and here's another one, not to turn to idols. I mean, we have a show called American Idol, right? We have all kinds of statues all over the place. We have uh, Mount Rushmore, right? You have, you know, that uh, he, he commands us not to do that. And say, well, it's okay if uh, you're not worshiping it. Well, we as human beings have a tendency to worship uh, or admire a sculpture of a human being. That's why it's not wise to create one in the first place. But anyway, I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. Uh, when you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. Peace offering is actually a form of giving where you would actually offer uh, an animal, a clean animal, to the priest, and then the priest would, would get a share of it, and then you yourself would get a share of it, anyone you would invite. So that, that would be the peace offering. And that, I don't think people think of peace that way, but peace is actually not saying, oh, well, I'm at peace with you, but actually showing that you want to be at peace with somebody by giving that person something. That's that's really peace. Peace be with you. All right? <laughs> so, but anyway, um, where are we at here? Verse 5, all right? 
Verse 6, it shall be eaten the same day you offer it or on the day after, and anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. It is eaten. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It will not be accepted. Everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord, and that person shall be cut off or destroyed from his people. Verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sorginger. I am the Lord your God. Verse 11, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until the morning. And we, this is a great sin that we commit in this country. Most people get paid every two weeks. God wants you to get paid every day. You know, if I could change the employment system, I would. But unfortunately, that's the way it's set up. Uh, you can't do it in a way where you're paying some money every day. It has to be at least every week. You know, so, but you can't do it every day like God wants us to here. It says, the wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night into the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. And that's wicked to, you know, you know somebody's blind and then you put something in his way. I mean, that that, that you know, that is really, really wicked to do. <laughs> really wicked. But you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. Verse 15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or deferred to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, saying false things about somebody behind their back, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, that not you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's why, that's where Rabbi Akiva and Hillel got this from. It wasn't their own idea. All right, so, so you know that that's something that we need to uh, take seriously. Verse nineteen: You shall keep. And another thing I wanted to point out here. Verse 17, you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. And the King James Version says, correct your neighbor, rebuke your neighbor. And in Matthew chapter 18, Christ outlines how you do that. If you see that somebody's doing something wrong, you should lovingly go to them and try to correct them. And if that doesn't work, you tell, you, you grab someone else and talk to them. If that doesn't work, then you, you bring it to whatever assembly that you're going to. And if they don't hear the leaders of the assembly, then you don't have anything to do with them anymore. So that's that's the procedure. Verse 19 of Leviticus chapter 19. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. So you don't take a dog and try to mate the, the dog with a cat. That's what it's talking about. You don't do that. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed. Nor shall And see, here's another. People think that this one particular scripture is referring to human seed. No, it's referring, it's referring to plants okay as far as human beings are concerned god doesn't say that uh a white person can't marry a black person okay he doesn't say that 
uh, you shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. And that's he doesn't he wants your material to be 100% cotton, etc. Of course, if you can't afford it, he understands that. But if you can afford to have pure clothing, you should. Okay. Verse 20, if a man lies sexually with a woman who was a slave, assigned to another man and not yet ransomed given her freedom, a distinction shall be made. They shall not be put to death because she was not free. But he shall bring his compensation to the Lord to the entrance of the tent of the meeting, a ram for a guilt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram and the guilt offering before the Lord for his sin that he has committed, and she and he shall be forgiven for the sin that he has committed. Verse 23, when you come into the land... When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, then you shall regard his fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you. It must not be eaten. And in the fourth year all his fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year you shall eat of his fruit to increase his yield for you. I am the Lord your God. You know, all these laws are applicable for today, except the, um, of course, because there's no temple. We can't present sacrifices uh, to the to the priests or the Levites in Jerusalem. But anyway, but in the fifth year you you may eat of his fruit to increase his yield for you. For I am the Lord your God. And of course, the laws where God gives permission for you to to kill somebody that's not applicable either because we don't have have it set up that way. Um, of course, capital punishment we we have. Uh, relied on the Bible for that type of knowledge. Uh, we do have capital punishment in this country. Unfortunately, it's not done quick enough. When you get some lunatic that has killed somebody and then they're in jail for years before they're given their just due, you know, but, but you know, that's something that will be corrected when God comes back. You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. This is in a way where it's pagan. That's what he's talking about. Verse 20, 28. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. Now, I'll tell you, these athletes, especially in the NBA, i tell you, it seems like every player that I see got a tattoo somewhere. <laughs> just, they are in total violation of this law. Verse 29. Do not profane your daughter. Oh, my God. This is one of the most violated laws of all time. Uh, verse 29, do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute. That not the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. We are in direct violation of this as a country, as a world, especially this country. We lead the world in pornography, basically. And uh, we, we pornography, whether you want to realize it or not, is a form of prostitution. Those women make a lot of money, a lot of money, exposing their bodies. And God states that when you do that, the land will become full of depravity. And I would have to say, on the authority of the Bible, that this land is full of depravity. It, it truly is. And and uh, it's, it's going to remain to be that way until we stop uh, filming pornography in Hollywood and, and, and Vegas and other places in this country. Um then also there's male prostitutes too, so this this scripture applies to them as well. You shall keep my Shabbat and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Which you know, I get some people saying, Well, on the Sabbath you don't have to assemble. Well, where is that at? I mean he he 
He in this in verse thirty it says, "You shall keep your my Shabbat and reverence my sanctuary." So reverencing his sanctuary, which is a is a is a meeting place for people to to worship God, uh, is in line with the Sabbath. Matter of fact, our Lord Savior he did that every Shabbat. He went into the temple and taught. So uh, if you do have people to assemble with on the Shabbat, then you should. There's nothing wrong with that. And don't let anyone teach you otherwise. Uh, verse 31, do not turn to mediums and necromancers. Do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Verse 32, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor. I don't see this hardly at all with any of our youth. Uh, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God and the Lord. Matter of fact, you have old men and women dishonored, and they make fun of them. Like the commercial, oh, I've fallen and I can't get up. People think that's funny, but God doesn't think that's funny. You're not honoring the old person when you uh, do that. Verse 33, when a stranger sojourns with you in the land, you shall not do him wrong. So if there's a stranger that enters the the country, a stranger means a, a, an alien or someone that's not a United States citizen, you should not do him wrong. Now, in terms of Obama's situation, uh, don't misinterpret this. Uh, no one's doing Obama wrong. Obama, if he is a stranger, okay, uh, he's benefited mightily from being in this country. So he, he hasn't been done wrong, okay? And you can't apply this about his birth certificate situation because God commands us to obey the laws of the land as long as they don't contradict uh, his laws. Matter of fact, one of his laws states that uh, to be king of Israel, you have to be an Israelite. Okay, So that's kind of similar to that law in the Old Testament uh, about being a natural-born citizen. All right, anyway. Verse 34, You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Verse 35, you shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances. He wants equality, equality. Uh, the rich should not, have, uh, should, should, should not have an overabundance, and the poor should not have too little. It should be an equality, and it's not... It's, in this country, more than any other country in the world, there's not an equality. You shall have just balance, a just weight, a just ephah, and a just hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. Okay? And then in, in chapter 20, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech, to surely be put to death. And this is uh, something that, unfortunately, uh, people did more often than not back in the days of Moses. Uh, they sacrificed their children to some false god. They would burn them up or kill them or whatever. It's kind of similar in a way to abortion, uh, minus the fire, you know, but uh, it's just uh, it's just sad that, that what they would do. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do, do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I will set my face, and that's what it means to cut someone off, by the way, to put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people 
him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring, um, uh, whoring after them, I will set my face against that person. Whoring after them is a Jewish phrase for saying that you're lusting after that. You really, really want to die. You know, it, there's nothing wrong with lusting if it's the right type of lust. Uh, if you lust for God and his ways, his de- lust means to desire greatly for his ways. If you desire righteousness, and when you get married to your wife or uh, uh, men, you get married to, uh, I mean, wives, you get married to your husbands or husbands, you get married to your wives. If you greatly want to have sex, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, he's opposed to you know, in a marriage. So that's right type of desire. Wrong type of desire is when you desire things that that you shouldn't be doing. That's in violation of God's law. Like if you desire more alcohol than what you should be drinking. If you desire drugs. Uh, if you desire any violation of God's law. If you desire, or man's law. Uh, if you desire to go 200 miles an hour when you're only supposed to be going 30 miles an hour down the street. That's sin. That's sin. And that's the wrong type of desire. All right. um, Verse 7. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. Being holy means to to, to fight sin, to to try to overcome sin, to separate yourself from wickedness, to hate evil. For I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. That's in the context of being holy, to keep the statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, or sets you apart, for anyone who curses his father and mother, so shall he be put to death. He has cursed his father and mother, his blood is upon him. See, no matter how your parents treat you, you're not supposed to curse them and call them names and disrespect them. God looks at that very high. And another thing, you have to look at it this way. Without your parents, you wouldn't be alive. And many of you may say, and I've said, well, I didn't ask to be born. Well, that's a mute point. I mean, you are born. And your parents birthed you. And no matter if your parents act like fools and, and treat you wrong, uh, you're still supposed to give them that honor. I know it's hard. Believe me. I know. Believe me. If anyone knows, it's me. But you need to give them the type of honor and respect they deserve, even if they don't give you any respect. We're supposed to respect everyone. And parents have a problem. More parents than not don't seem to know how to respect it honored their own children. You know, God honors his son. He states that in the first chapter of Hebrews. He respects his son highly. And and that doesn't mean that he wants to be ruled by his son. It just means that he respects him and recognizes his accomplishments and is pleased about it. And that's what any son or daughter would like their father and mother to do. Unfortunately, uh, especially among the black population, uh, you don't get that too often. They really don't get that too often, from the fathers especially. The fathers are hardly ever there. Um, a lot of black males, when they're 25 years old, they're in jail. You know, the fathers aren't aren't ever around. That's why homosexualities really increase in the black community. The fathers aren't around, so who do they have as a role model? Their mothers, right? And the mothers, what? <laughs> then they start acting womenly and so forth, and they end up turning gay, you know. It's not, it's not all of them, but more more than what should be allowed or it shouldn't be allowed at all but uh, there's a lot more becoming gay that way than than, in other ways but uh, it's unfortunate verse 10 if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor 
both the adulterer and adulterer shall surely be put to death. So he's, he's telling you he doesn't like adultery here. All right? If a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them, and that my wife just brought something up here that I guess I didn't realize. Uh, when It says if a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. So his father's nakedness is his wife, which proves what Christ stated anyway in Genesis and, and in Matthew chapter uh, 19, that you become one flesh. The the marriage is, is a one flesh thing. And God looks at it as, hey, if a man lies with his father's wife, uh, the father's wife is the father's nakedness. So my wife brought that up. That's a pretty good point there. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, and this is repeated again, it's repeated in Leviticus chapter 18, and again in Leviticus chapter 20, because God knew it would be a big problem. Okay? And it is a big problem. Uh, and he says, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, that, that's pretty plain. And people like to twist the scriptures and say, well, God didn't mean this, he didn't mean that. Yes, he did mean it, okay? Uh, both of them have committed an abomination. They should surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes a woman and her mother also, it is depravity. He and they shall be burned with fire. I mean, <laughs> burned with fire. That that there may be no depravity among you, my that must be something he really hates. If a man takes a woman and a mother also, I mean that that what nerve? I mean he takes a woman and a mother, so I, I can understand why he would want to burn them. You know, verse fourteen: If a man takes a woman and a mother also, there's a problem. Okay, hurry. They, they shall be burned with fire, that there may be no depravity among you. If a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and lies with it. And this is a problem, uh, I guess, with both a man and a woman. Uh, even today, they, unfortunately, men and women have sex with animals. It's depravity. If a woman approaches any animal and lies with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Verse 17, if a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father and mother, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace. And they shall be cut off in the sight of the children of the people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness, and he shall bear his iniquity. So this is interesting. Um, if a sister and brother have sex with each other, then they're not killed, but they well, yeah, they are killed. So they shall be cut off. That, that means, again, uh, killed. In the sight of the children of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness, and he shall bear his iniquity. If a man lies with a woman during her menstruation period and uncovers her nakedness, he has made naked her fountain, and she has uncovered the fountain of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from among the people. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister or your father's sister, for that is for that is to make naked one's relatives. They shall bear their iniquity. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. Whoa. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. So, you know, God talked about in, in the a portion last week. He talked about sexual perversion, and here we go again. Obviously, it's a big problem. And I just want to remind you, for those who are celebrating Passover, that this is it's not a surprise to me that the Jewish sages, um, they um, put 
these passages of scriptures around Passover because Passover is a time where we try to get sin out of our lives. We try to uh, reevaluate ourselves and, and 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 try to weed out any hidden sins that we may have. Now, obviously, a lot of those sins have something to do with sex, how we think about sex and how we think about our family. And we have to eliminate that. Society today doesn't do a very good job in helping us to eliminate that. All right. So the Hathor part, or the prophets part, let's turn to Amos chapter 9. Amos chapter 9. Amos chapter 9, starting in verse 7. This is a prophecy that I don't think people really understand. This, one, this is a prophecy that really, really explains that the law is for everyone, and I'm going to explain this in the remaining 33 minutes that I have here. Does everyone turn? Yeah, okay. All right, Amos 9, verse 7. Are you not like the Cushites, or the King James Version has uh, Ethiopians? To me, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Camptor, and Syrians from Kirk? Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom. He calls us a sinful kingdom. A sinful kingdom. Like the Ethiopians. Right? A sinful kingdom. This is God's word. He calls us a sinful kingdom. <laughs> okay? I just want to point that out and emphasize that. Yes, Amos 9, verse 8. He says, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom. He doesn't call us a righteous kingdom, because we're not, collectively. Maybe a few of us that are, but the majority, we are not, in his eyes, a righteous kingdom. And I will destroy from the surface of the ground, except I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. And he has not utterly destroyed us. We still exist. Verse 9, For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations, and one shakes a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people, he says, all the sinners, and sinners are people that just sin all the time. And you know, there's no stoppage, they just sinning continuously over and over and over again, and they love it. Okay? That's the people, he's not talking about the people that occasionally sin and they and repent and say, hey, let me just do better. He's talking about people that just don't care about righteousness. They just totally just sin, sin, sin. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword. Who say, disaster shall not overtake or meet us. Okay? And you have people saying that here in this country. And God says, hey, you will die by the sword. Or you'll die by a violent way. Verse 11, in that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen, or the tabernacle of David in the King James it says that. And repair his breaches and raise up his ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. And I'm going to do an interpretation here that was done by one of the apostles. I think of the Apostle James, which uh, is uh, Jesus' half-brother. Um, and he will explain this. That they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name. So it's not just the Jews. All the nations that's called by his name declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. 
I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. This prophecy is being fulfilled, but it has not been completely fulfilled because they don't have total peace. They still have to worry about the Palestinians bugging them and so forth. All right, so Acts chapter 15 is the interpretation from uh, Christ's half-brother James, who was the pastor of the, of the Jerusalem congregation at that time. This is the uh, heavily misunderstood Acts chapter 15. Um, many people use this to say, hey, you know, all you have to do is keep a few commandments, and that's that, but that's not what it's saying. But anyway, uh, Acts chapter 15 And beginning in verse 12. Now, in Acts 15, verse 1, I want you to understand something, understand the context of the Jerusalem Council. It says, But some men came down from Judea, which is the West Bank today, and were teaching their brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses. The custom of Moses is simply the oral law. Okay? It doesn't say the law of Moses. It says the customs of Moses. So this was not something that, God approved of what they're talking about here. It says, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, and let me explain what I just said. The Jews believe that Moses got two Torahs, or, or two laws, okay? Uh, the first one was the written, the second one was the oral law. The oral law is supposed to help us understand the written law. And when they say custom of Moses, they're talking about the oral law, not the written law. Because the written law really was revealed to Abraham, as Jesus stated, first, before it was revealed to Moses. And in the written law of circumcision states that you should be circumcised uh, at the eighth day. But they mistakenly interpret that to mean, hey, you have to be circumcised to be saved. Okay, So unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So it's saying that Someone had to be circumcised to become a Jew to be saved. That's no, that's nowhere in the Bible where you have to be circumcised to be saved. All right, so that that is the context there of, of what's going on here. Now, in verse twelve, well, let me read this here. Um, you understand that the yoke. Um, well, actually, in verse 5, it says, It's necessary to circumcise in order to keep the law of Moses. But some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It's necessary to circumcise in order to keep the law of Moses. Now, in this context, it says the law of Moses, but the Torah of Moses can be a combination of the written and the oral law. In verse 6, The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the day, early days God made a choice among you, that by the mouth, by the mouth, but that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us. So, in other words, Peter is making, saying, hey, there's no distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay? And he made no distinction, I just said that, he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, this is, folks, this is scripture. He said, he made no distinction between us and them. Now, my question to you is why does Christianity think there is a distinction between the Jews and Christians? When Peter said, under the inspiration of God, that 
he made no distinction between us and them. Okay? If the Jews keep the law, we keep the law. That's what that means. If you understand English, then you should understand that. All right? Having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples? The yoke was not the law of Moses. The yoke is the oral law, which is described in uh, Matthew chapter 15 uh, as being a burden if the oral law interpretation makes the law of God of none effect. All right? And that's what they're talking about as far as the yoke. By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. For example, in the Talmud today, there's 39 different ways to keep the Sabbath. That's nowhere in the scriptures, uh, all 39. All right, anyway. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace or the favor or the power of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Verse 12, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James, as I stated, that's uh, Christ's half-brother, replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God had first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. So not only is he going to take a people of his name from the Jews, but also from Gentiles, those who aren't Jews. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild his ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind, and that's what Edom means there, he interpreted that properly, the remnant of remaining of mankind may seek the Lord. That's the true understanding of that. Edom can mean pagans, or it can mean the entire world in, in certain prophecies, and James, under the inspiration of his brother, told you the uh, the real underlying uh, meaning to that scripture when it says that the remnant of Edom. It says, the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, and make these things known from of old. Okay? And then right here in verse 19, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, so they shouldn't... Uh, commit idolatry, uh, sexual immorality, and what has been strangled and from blood. From ancient generations, Moses says um, right here, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogue. So let me explain what was meant there, is that the first century Gentile Christians, they attended Jewish synagogues. So he was saying that they're going to learn about Moses anyway in the synagogues. But these other things, that were prohibitions, was part of the the oral law that they could keep. But those are the only things that Gentiles are required to keep of the oral law. Everything else that they must obey is from the written law of Moses. And you wouldn't know these things if you didn't study Judaism. And I certainly didn't know them until I studied Judaism. So that that that's the simplest way I can explain Acts chapter 15. Okay, um, let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 20. And that prophecy in Amos is simply a prophecy telling you that the whole world will be keeping the law. The whole world will be keeping the law of God. Not just the Jews. Uh, let me approve that to you here. Uh, turn to Isaiah, and then I'll turn to Zion. 
Well, yeah, I'm going to turn Isaiah first. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66, starting in verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain from new moon to new moon and from Shabbat to Shabbat. All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. So that is one scripture of the many that I can show you that proves that all of mankind will be keeping the Sabbath and the new moons, which means they'll be keeping the holy days. That's another Bible study in itself. Etc. They will be keeping the holy days of God in Leviticus chapter 23, because you can't keep that correctly unless you observe the new moons. And also they'll be keeping the Shabbat, just like Jews. So, Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 20, beginning in verse 2. God addresses the wickedness again of his people. It's a prophecy again. You realize when you read the prophetic books, it's not just something that happened in the past. It's also something that will happen again in similar fashion in the future. And the word, Ezekiel 20, verse 2, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, The elders of Israel are people who should be the leaders. Okay? Thus says the Lord God, It is to inquire, Is it to inquire of me that you come? As I live, declares the Lord, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Let them know the abomination of their fathers. And he always blames the fathers because the fathers are the leaders. And say to them, Thus says the Lord God, On the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I have searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. And I said to them, cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on, every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. What our eyes feast on today is television programs, filthy garbage pit television programs, pornography, all kinds of other things that uh, they had a recent program on TV that uh, showed um, this one female who was bisexual kissing a transgender, uh, yes, male and female person on MTV. You know, so you know that that's what God is telling you here. He says, "Cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on." Every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me as they are today. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. And Egypt, in prophetic context, many times can refer to the entire world. Okay. Uh, then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profane in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, and whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my statues and made known to them my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. 
Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And uh, the Sabbath is a sign, folks, that you are a fervent believer. Uh, for those who don't know about the Sabbath, God won't hold that against you. But if you know about the Sabbath, if you listen to me today about the Sabbath, and you think, well, hey, that's done away with, then that's going to be held against you at, in judgment. And you say, well, didn't you hear Canard uh, talk about the Sabbath? Um, what you do? You know, he proved it to you. Um, how come you're not keeping it? How come you didn't keep it? He's going to bring that up to you. So, uh, verse 12, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths, as a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. The Sabbath will help you understand that you know God who sanctifies you. If you don't keep the Sabbath day, the Sabbath day should be a day of reflection. It should be a day of re-energizing your spiritual battery so that you can deal with the filth and garbage pit world that we all live in. And if you don't recharge those batteries through listening to me or other Torah teachers, uh, teaching you properly the Word of God. Uh, if you don't do independent Bible study on this day and refresh yourself spiritually and just think about the creation, do things, maybe go to the, go to a creation museum or go to the zoo or, or something, to do something to put your mind on the creation. Go to the forest preserve. Uh, just have a wonderful, pleasant, delightful day worshiping God and appreciating God, thinking about the creation, thinking about all the beautiful animals and insects that he's created. Uh, and fishes and so forth, and uh, dolphins and whales, etc. Um, you're not going to be blessed, and you're not going to know God, because you know God through his creation. You get to know him through what he's created. Verse 13, But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules. Now, he's he's talking about the majority. Of course, a few did. By which, if a person does them, he shall live. So, He's telling you, look, I don't care what any of these false ministers have told you. You better keep those commandments, because if you don't, you will not live, okay? He says right here, by which if a person does them, he shall live. If you don't do the commandments, you won't live. Don't let anyone deceive you otherwise in that, okay? You have to keep the commandments. The reason why you have to is because God tells you to, and Yeshua did. In John 15, verse 10, he states that, I have kept my Father's commandments, and so we're supposed to live like him. He's supposed to be in us. In Galatians 2, verse 20, states that he's spiritually in us. Okay? And if he's spiritually in us, and if he has not changed, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, in Hebrews 13, verse 8. Then, and then in Ephesians 5, verse 1, and Christ, the Messiah, is a part of God, a significant part of God. He's the Word of God. Then we must imitate God. So there's no way from those scriptures you can say, and then in Matthew 5, verse 17, one of the most misunderstood scriptures of all time. He said, don't think that I came to destroy the law of Moses or the prophets. Well, Moses is a prophet, so he did not come to destroy Moses. If you destroy Moses, then you destroyed everything he did, including the law. He did not come to do that. So if you're being taught that, you're being taught wrong. Um, verse 16, because they rejected my rules and did not walk in my statutes and profane my Sabbaths, for their heart went after the, their idols. Nevertheless, my eyes spared them, and I did not destroy them or make a full end of them in the wilderness. God is so merciful. Verse 18, And I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers. Here we go again. The fathers, we got a problem. Not just black fathers, all fathers. Worldwide, historically. In the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules. 
And I said to the children in the wilderness, in verse 18, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules. So this is an interesting scripture because I know maybe some children that are listening to me, should I obey my father if their rules are contrary to the law? No. No. You are not commanded to do that. So it says, Nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And keep my Sabbaths holy, that they may be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But, unfortunately, the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes and were not careful. You have to be careful. Take great care to obey the rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. They profane my Sabbaths. The people that say that the Sabbath has been done away with, they do not know what they're talking about. Folks, all right. Now let's look at uh, what the New Testament says about um, how to be holy. Uh, let's turn first of all to Matthew chapter twenty-two. In the remaining thirteen minutes I have here, Matthew chapter twenty-two, uh, verse thir- verse thirty-three. Actually, in verse, um, start in verse uh, 34. But when the Pharisees, in Matthew 22, verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. A lawyer means someone who's skilled in the law of God, in the Torah of Moses. Asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So all the law and the prophets are summarized, which Christ said was not destroyed. Okay, And those two commandments, loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That doesn't mean those are only two commandments you keep. It means that those two commandments summarize in those two commandments, all the law and the prophets are summarized. And the law and the prophets show you how to love the Lord your God with your soul, heart, soul, and mind. All your soul, heart, and mind. And also um, how to love your neighbor yourself. The law and the prophets show you how to do that. That's the way to properly interpret that. Now, you may, you may say, well, who is my neighbor? Well, someone uh, in a smart out of the way asked Christ that, and he responded. In Luke chapter 10, let's turn there, Luke chapter 10. I'm not going to read the whole story about it. I just want to read what he told you the neighbor was. So Luke chapter 10, I'm sure you're familiar with the Good Samaritan. Um, to a, a priest um, saw somebody out in the street getting beat up, and they went past him. Then somebody, a Levite, did it. And these are two people you would think would help someone, but they, and they didn't. And so somebody who was a Samaritan, a Gentile uh, saw him and took care of him, and, and so that that that's the context of the story there. Uh, Luke chapter ten, and then in verse thirty-six, well, let me describe to you what uh, the Samaritan did. Verse thirty-three, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to in, in verse thirty-three of Luke chapter ten. Luke ten, verse thirty-three, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. In other words, he cared for him. 
He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So Christ saying that any human being is your neighbor, and you should help him. That's what he's saying. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 43, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, I don't see that anywhere in the Bible in that context, so obviously this is something that traditionally they were saying or interpreting that love your neighbor has something to do with hating your enemy, you know. But but he said, uh, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I know that's very hard for everyone to do. But he tells you to love your enemies. Love your enemies. Care about your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. They wrongfully say things and do things to you. So that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust, so the wicked get blessed too. That's what he's saying. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, and that's what most people do, folks. They love those who love them. What reward do you have? So he's not. he says you're not going to have any reward if you just love your family and to hell with everyone else. You know, that's. I, I see that today, uh, especially today. <laughs> Today's society is like, you know, I don't know you. I mean, I, I don't know you. Get away from me. And, you know, I know a lot of that's because a lot of people are wicked today. But we still should try to reach out to people that we don't know. And he says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers or people in your family, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect or complete as your heavenly Father is perfect. So that's the goal, is perfection. He wouldn't say that unless it was possible to do. Uh, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And people may wonder, well, you know, I know this is a tough journey that I have to do, and what am I going to get in return? You know, and I know that's the human inclination for us to always think about what we're going to get. Well, anyway, Mark chapter 10, verse 28. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this life or in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecution, you're going to have problems, so expect them. And in the age to come, eternal life. And he says, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. And in Matthew chapter 6, this is one of my favorite passages of scriptures. This is a passage of scripture that kept me going through hard times, and it still does today, because he is, proven that he exists through the fulfillment of these passages of scripture here. In Matthew chapter uh, 6, remaining six minutes here, I'm going to knock this out hopefully. 
Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not the life more than food and the body more than clothing. So he doesn't even want us focusing on the necessities of life so much. He says, don't be anxious about your life. And I've been guilty of this, and a lot of other people have been guilty of this, but he doesn't want you to so focus so much on, on what you will drink or, or what you're going to wear or what you will put on. It's not the life more than food and the body more than clothing. So he says, your life is even more important than food and clothes. That's what he's saying, the necessities of life. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He feeds the birds. So if he's going to feed the birds, he's going to obviously feed you. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why, anxious means worry, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the litters of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So you you have a faith problem when you start worrying, getting anxious about problems, and problems threatening uh, whether or not you have food and clothes. The main thing is you have to step back and say, hey, uh, do I have food and clothes now? And in a lot of cases you do. But you're worrying about, hey, the future. Oh, I may not have this and have that. He doesn't want you thinking that way. He's saying, hey, have faith. Just continue to trust him and to keep his law and all those things to be added to you. It says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows you need these things. But the priorities, you have to set the priorities first. So I try to tell my family all the time and myself. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, seek to keep his commandments first, and all these things will be added to you. One of the things I realized I wasn't doing uh, with all this money I was making recently, I wouldn't put any of that money toward advertising this program. And I just realized that now. Perhaps he was angry about that. So, you know, I'm going to start to do that here. Once money's come in, I'm going to start to advertise this program. On Facebook, you know, so uh, I'm going to uh, advertise this program, and and I ask God to provide me with the monies to be able to do so. So uh, more people are going to hopefully hear about us in the future. I'm going to do that first before I think about advertising anything else. So I need to follow that uh, this scripture myself. But seek the first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then verse 34: Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is his own trouble. All right? So we got to seek him. we got to look in our lives. For me, it's different than you. Everybody has to work out their own salvation. But you have to look at it and say, what, what am I doing that is proving to God that I'm not seeking him first? And then you have to stop doing it and start seeking him first. And if you do that, then he promises to add all these things. You won't have all these these issues with food and clothes and everything else. He will add all these things, but you have to put him first. And he means put him first in every facet, and I mean every facet of your life. You can't leave anything out, because if you do, he'll certainly let you know about it. Believe me, I know. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to go over some other scriptures, but uh, I have two minutes left. I guess I can go over First Peter here. First Peter chapter 13. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. 
First Peter chapter one verse thirteen. It says, Therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance or not knowing. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. This is quoted from Leviticus uh, chapter 19, verse 2. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Here we go with the fathers again not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. The focus should not be on money. It should be on the spiritual. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that'll be it for today, and God willing, I'll be on this program uh, next week, uh, giving you another uh, Bible study that you can put into action in your lives. May God bless and keep you, and hopefully I'll be available next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold... The day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.